Hi, you're listening to the Stefan Levera podcast focused on Bitcoin and Austrian economics. For today's episode, I've got an interview with Jack Malice, but first, let me introduce the sponsors of the show. So firstly, Kraken, really impressive exchange. They're one of the longest standing Bitcoin exchanges in the world. They're renowned for their focus on security and acting ethically in the space. They're consistently rated the best. They've got high trading volume and low fees with no minimum or hidden fees. Kraken have 24-7 support, and on the institutional side, you can get best-in-class accounting, reconciliation, and reporting services for cryptocurrency hedge funds, asset managers, fund administrators. Kraken have an OTC desk for higher-touch large block trades. They offer five fiat currencies, and they also offer margin and futures trading. So go to kraken.com to sign up. This episode is also presented to you by Unchained Capital. They're providing Bitcoin financial services, empowering customers with unprecedented financial freedom and control. All of their products and services are built on the foundation of multisig, and their approach to collaborative custody gives users control over their private keys, as well as the benefit of a financial partner and financial services. Unchained's two of three vaults are a great option for those thinking through how best to secure their Bitcoin for the long term. And if you ever need to access liquidity but don't want to sell your Bitcoin, Unchained's collateralized loans offer a unique option. All Bitcoin is stored on-chain in dedicated multi-sig addresses and the BTC is never rehypothecated. You can also share in the security of your Bitcoin by holding one of three keys. I'm really impressed with Unchained. They offer excellent services. They've released valuable content and open source tools with more to come. I think you'll enjoy partnering with them for your Bitcoin financial services. Learn more, unchained-capital.com. Next, Bitcoin Outlet. Bitcoin Outlet delivers rare and extraordinary merchandise to warriors of Bitcoin. Outstanding design is not blindly slapping your logo on any object available. At Bitcoin Outlet, every product carried is a work of art with a thoughtful design. In keeping with the ethos of Bitcoin, all products created at Bitcoin Outlet are limited edition. Once a product sells out, that's all folks. Bitcoin Outlet is a sister company to Canada's Bull Bitcoin. Both companies are Bitcoin maximalists through and through. Bitcoin Outlet only supports Bitcoin. This core belief has led them to align with other unapologetically maximalist companies. So if you want to rock some merch from a designer with an actual moral compass and unwavering maximalist views, head to bitcoinoutlet.com. Get yourself some of the best merchandise out there. Use coupon code LAVERA for 21% off anything in the store. Jack Mallers is a well-known Bitcoin and Lightning entrepreneur and developer, and along with his family, uh, who are also well known for supporting various initiatives and projects within Bitcoin as well. So Jack is developing the Zap application, one of my favorite Lightning wallets. And in this interview, we talk about Lightning and identity and how that's being explored now. And also his experience with building a Lightning business with this inherent exposure to Bitcoin miner fees, and also his philosophy on Zap wallet development. I really enjoyed talking with Jack. Here's the interview. Jack, welcome to the show, man. Stefan, thank you for having me. I'm a big fan. I'm I'm a big fan of you. I really, you know, what your family's doing, you know, Bitcoin mom and uh, your your dad, Will <laughs> BC20. I can't remember his exact handle. And then obviously you, you guys are just killing it. I'm a big fan. Zap is my favorite wallet. So um, I really love using it. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to just chatting with you about Zap and, you know, what you're doing as well. Uh, oh, I guess just also just context for the listeners, we are recording one day before the Lightning Conference. So we're here together in Berlin. It's October 2019. So uh, really excited for the Lightning Conference. What are you looking forward to? Oh, man. Uh, just being here. I think that 
Bitcoin moves so fast and can sometimes be so intense, but I think it was almost three years ago when I went into a Slack channel with Elizabeth and Lalu and a few others, and we're asking the stupidest questions. And I don't think anyone's taken a deep breath and congratulated themselves for being here. I mean, what an amazing opportunity to be at this event. So I'm just happy to be invited and to be here, be part of something so big. It's really cool. Yeah, it's and it's an incredible lineup. It's basically anyone who's anyone who's anyone in Lightning is here, pretty much. I mean, there's very few uh, exceptions. So uh, really looking forward to that. And yeah, so I wanted to talk to you about obviously what you're working on with Zap and Olympus and um, identity as well. I think that's an interesting topic that we're starting to see now a little bit more exploration around this idea of potentially using your lightning node as identity so i suppose one thing there that we are used to as bitcoiners when we open a channel with somebody we ask hey what's your uri what is your node pub key do you want to just take that and what is that node pub key and could there be a relationship with identity yeah so believe it or not this hasn't really surfaced at the application level yet. And my tweet, which stirred some feathers, the good and the bad. Um, but my intention was to let everyone know that identity is already used within Lightning. So LND, is, you know, I'm not as familiar with the other implementations, but LND uses some form of identity via PubKey already. Um, if a node is acting strange, often offline, uh, or not acting properly on the network and force closing channels, then it has some form of time off and bans within the network already. So even at the protocol level, we're starting to see like a reputation system of sorts and uh, it doesn't use any personal information, right? That's a really crazy concept, which may seem overly simple to some, but if you think about it, is that your node is able to act on uh, reputation within the network with others and all they know is the public key, right? And well, how can that expand at the application level with a wallet like Zap? Why, why can't we use the same concept? Um, so the API as it stands today uh, and some of the message signing can use a little bit of work and there's various different ideas, but I think everyone is motivated to try and accomplish the same thing is um, at the protocol level, reputation system is very, very important to ensure that your peer doesn't get into any nasty relationships with bullies on the network, right? And the same goes at the application layer. There's no reason I can't sign up for a service or auto pay with a merchant I'm frequent with and we can kind of do a, a handshake with signatures without giving any personal information or anything like that. So this is kind of the basic idea. I think we have a lot of work to, to go. I, my tweet wasn't saying it'll be ready tomorrow. But yeah, I think it was received well. And I think usually with Zap, my goal is to just make ideas very relatable and intuitive. And then other people smarter than me pick them up and we do them together. <laughs> <laughs> right. And they work out these little details, right? So I guess just thinking out loud, one thing could be that you might have one node for the family. You might not necessarily have one LND per person. So do you have any thoughts on how to get around that? Yeah, well, you'd have to think that like your public key is in a, a person of itself, okay? So I wouldn't try and treat it as if, you know, I'm one person with three nodes, so how do I get my three nodes to represent me? That's really tough. You'd have to tie some personal identity somewhere, right? I mean, if you want it in its most pure form, you know, this public key represents an identity within its own. It has its own relationship on the network. It has its own liquidity and its own, uh, at the application level, relationship with other services and authentication. I don't know, Laps.co launched something. So I, I don't I don't know exactly how it will work, or work excuse me, 
execution-wise at the application layer, there's a lot of uh, testing and such to do. And and there is like a trust model that we can kind of play with. It, it's not very binary. You can kind of tug the string a little to the left or a little to the right. And we could tie like an email address to an array of public keys if you wanted to, right? I mean, would that be compromising too much personal identity? Can you have just a throwaway email that just is responsible for identifying multiple nodes with each other? Probably. Will people, will consumers react well to that? I don't know. What's the only way to see? Try it. So it's unclear, but there's a lot of exploration. And I, and I try not to fit the mental model that has been for the last, I don't know, 50 years on the internet and try and approach it really new and yeah. fresh. Yeah. And that's, that's really the power of Bitcoin and Lightning that we can try some things in a totally new way. And one example would be currently right now, if you try to buy something online with a standard credit card, you pretty much have to give name, phone number, address, all this, all this information. But now in a digital world with Bitcoin and Lightning payment, we can change that. So what are some of the benefits that you would see of using Lightning pub keys as identifiers as opposed to the traditional way? Yeah, well, I would say... I think one of the more successful reputation systems maybe ever is Amazon potentially or these type of reputation systems where I can look for products and be confident in the general public of being really bright. Um, And I think one of the best or most interesting features with Zap right now is this feature of auto pay potentially. So Zap Desktop runs on your machine, your keys are on your machine. And why can't I identify a node public key like y'all's and say, I know this public key. I trust this public key. I use Alex Bosworth's service all the time. You know what, Zap, if I'm going to be making a payment with this public key or, or such, right, I would like to say that you can pay it without my confirmation. Because I know that public key, I trust that public key, I trust that merchant. And as long as the invoice is not over a thousand Satoshis and it's it's this public key, then I would really appreciate it if you would just blow through that paywall for me and it can reduce that type of friction and enhance the user experience a ton. Um, so like you said, I mean, the process of credit cards and personal information online, the time cost uh, and mental cost of onboarding yourself to various websites where I think we can reduce a lot of the friction and cute little user stories like that, I think can go a long way. So we'll see. Yeah, that's really cool to think about. How about, okay, so there's WebLN and there's this idea of, I think, Willow Burns uh, application, Jewel, which has, I think he's trying to work towards a similar kind of idea of auto pay up to this amount. And so I suppose there might be some way to interact there together. Yeah, uh, WebLN, uh, there's LN URL. Uh, yeah, there's this idea of just some protocol of transferring information uh, between services or peers. Um, and yeah, I think it is really important, though, to understand that Lightning, your public key is your unique identifier. It is how you it is your social security number. Right. Um, and so that's really, really cool. And we can identify others. And yeah, it's it makes me feel better that smart people are thinking of it the same way. Right. I think it's only a matter of time at this point. Right. Yeah. OK. And then. One thing now, though, is we do have to think about backup and recovery and that sort of thing, right? So if you lose your Lightning pub key somehow, or if you, let's say you you didn't back up your, your seed, and, you know, then now is that a problem where you've lost your identity, so to speak? Yeah, I think it was Adam Back maybe that replied to my tweet and said there's much better ways to do this if we assume that people won't lose things, 
Right. I mean, so you have your L and D seed, which which will recover. But sure, I mean, do I? I don't think that uh, you should tie this to passport verification so that you don't have to bring your passport from home, yeah. right? I think there's a lot of work to do. But for small micropayments and relationships with other services and really big UX wins, um, I don't see why not. If if uh, I'm using my Zap wallet and auto paying micropayments as I browse through the web and Zap's kind of handling all that experience for me in the background, and I lose my wallet. Eh, tough brush it off and get a new one right, right? and Not we a big can deal. set up the same relationships again yeah um and then i've seen now rui gomez who works at OpenNode and also working on uh, laps i forgot the exact url i think it's laps.co yeah it sounds right yeah and uh one thing he was trying to do is experimenting with a similar idea and basically i think you pay a one sat invoice and that proves that you have a certain identity within the lightning network I guess, firstly, did you have any thoughts on that as a model of identity with Lightning? Yeah, I saw that. I, I love the OpenNode guys. They were early Zap uh, contributors, not really himself, um, but the founders. Uh, the code isn't open source, and I'm not entirely sure that anyone's walked through exactly how it works. But as far as I'm concerned, you pay, you pay all you have to do is paste an invoice. Um, so no one's actually paying it, and uh, it transfers enough information. Um, but yeah, I, I think the general, the good news is that everyone is is understanding this idea and is interested in tackling it and sees the value in it. So there's probably be various approaches, and there are all going to be really cool. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm not totally sure. If he's listening, I would love to see uh, the code or, or an explanation or such, because um, maybe... It's much brighter than my idea, right? Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Um, and I guess the other thing as well to think about is custodial. And I know most people have thoughts about custodial. Um, and then we would have to consider what's the identity going to look like for a person who is using a custodial Lightning wallet. And potentially on the bright side, that's an incentive to run your own full node and so on. Yeah, this is the biggest point. that, And sometimes I get very aggressive with my opinions. But here's the thing. I think that custodial services will always play a role and that choices are very, very important. But if we were to assume that custodial was okay, we wouldn't have built Lightning. Lightning is designed with the assumption that this is uh, peer-to-peer. And uh, with identity, that's magnified, right? Um, If your custodial service is acting in a way, uh, it is representing all of its users on the network with this identity. So you wouldn't be able to log in right with a custodial service you'd have the same account as everyone else i wouldn't be able to you know with a merchant be able to set for example if we stay on the topic of open node open nodes merchants all same share the same public key so for zap to allow a user to have like some auto pay feature with an open node right like i i can't have that because there could be one service that's amazing that the user uses frequently and that they trust, but another another service that if you go to by happens chance, they're just like maybe stealing your money or acting maliciously. So I think it is an incentive. And I think as time goes on, we'll start to see uh, a lot of these things play out and really disincentivize custodial services. And I think that non-custodial really isn't, won't be eventually too worse off of user experience. I really don't. Um, I think it just takes time and there's more work for non-custodial services. Um, and that uh, people's time preference when it comes to lightning, right? <laughs> it's very different than than the hodler mentality. People want to do it now, and they want to tweet their screencast now, and they want to be part of the lightning torch now. So custodial services play a great part. But of my opinion, as things play out, I think it'll, it'll start to show. Yeah, right. And I think it's it's a tough one to discuss because there's so many different complicating factors. It's easy, and many of us who first came in when I was a newbie, uh, you know, I didn't understand these things. I didn't know that I meant to run my I meant to run my own full node back in like 2013 and stuff. But then 
it's about how can you allow people to have that space to learn better and uh, some people might have the view that you should just onboard directly into the full node experience and that you should uh, you know maybe buy one of these uh, node in a box type things you know the noddle or a casa node or whatever uh, and then you know be onboarded immediately into the fully you know sovereign experience if you will the non you know the non custodial uh, view so then how does that play into what you're doing with zap and how you're trying to drive certain behaviors there yeah so Zap was always about trying to usher in this new era. So I've always been of the opinion that Lightning gives us a, a totally new era, like uh, the BC type, right? Like with Lightning, we get a, a fresh start at establishing a relationship with the user. If you think of the last decade, Bitcoin's relationship with the end consumer is like grade F minus, <laughs> right? It's really complicated. It's for drug dealers. It's for terrorists. It's illegal. Taxes are crazy. It's for nerds. You have to be smart. And it's really intimidating. And Lightning allows us a brand new, fresh start at a relationship with these users. And Zap was always about um, for the community, by the community. It was announced in the midst of the scaling debate. And it was not mine. It was ours. And it was going to represent our uh, principles as a community and do our best to enhance the user experience and represent us to general consumers and mainstream audience in the right way. So, yeah, Zap is non-custodial. Um, it always will be. And I think those values are extremely important. And services like Coinbase will always have users. That's just a fact of, of markets, right? When there's two decisions, um, someone will always make one that you don't. But yeah, I, I think so far so good with Zap. And uh, that's the stance that we've decided to take for our entire lifespan. <laughs> so. Right, yeah. So I guess let's just talk a little bit about the possible ways you can use Zap. Because there's a lot of different ways, right? You can have the desktop Zap. You can connect it through to your own full node. So for example, if you're running a noddle or some, some other node device, you can connect it through that way. What are some of the other permutations, if you will? Yeah, so you can get on a Lightning and make payments within minutes without any other external services. So Zap comes with a Lightning node inside of it. Uh, it uses Neutrino, the famed Neutrino from Lightning Labs. Um, yeah, we'll have Tor support soon. Um, obviously, Olympus is a really big deal. And... Uh, yeah, I think with Zap, um, we never have too big of a roadmap. Um, I know that there's different flavors of ice cream for every hungry, hungry person, but, uh, for us, we're just very reactionary to the community. We're available in response is like what I like to say, um, is the, the best next feature is the one, uh, that is told to you. Uh, right. So, um, whatever users really want, uh, we have a open resource repository and we collect issues and we build. Um, but yeah, you can connect to your remote node. You can run a node on your phone, on your laptop, soon tour. And yeah, that's very awesome. Serviceable. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, uh, yeah, the mobile app is really very nice user interface as well. So I've, I've noticed that uh, I've had a little bit of difficulties getting into my own home node because I, I can't get the tall part working yet. Um, uh, but I've found it a really good experience overall and looking forward to tall support as well. Yeah, yeah, we got a lot going on. But soon come, soon come with time. I appreciate the kind words, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a really cool app. I really enjoy it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how the onboarding can be made easier as well, right? So the typical journey for somebody, I guess for people like us who've been around in Bitcoin, you, you had to learn about Bitcoin first and then learn Lightning. Uh, but there are 
now with Lightning, there are opportunities to onboard directly into Lightning. Did you want to touch on that? Yeah. Um, I don't think that a user should be required to really interface with the chain, uh, the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, I think that micropayments, uh, Lightning will end up introducing like a brand new economy of sorts, in my opinion. And uh, a user can only interface with these micropayments and have these small balances and continuously top up. And I think that user experience is extremely preferable. And there's a lot of hacks at the protocol that we can implement to kind of obfuscate and and present a much cleaner, uh, narrowed down experience for the user. So uh, things like Olympus, I think, are really important. Um and yeah, I, I think with Zap, you'll start to see a lot of really clever onboarding tricks um, that we'll do. I mean, you can even think of a world where the user doesn't even know that they're buying Bitcoin, where I could say, you know, Fold gives 20% off. If you scan the Lightning QR code and you only have your debit card and Fold can present an interface, you know, where if you purchase these tokens right now um, and swipe your card, then you get 20% off. And what's really happening is we're using Lightning uh, at the lower level level for uh, efficient and instant settlement of physical value. And I gave this talk in San Francisco where if money is a technology, Lightning is a serious innovation in settlement and clearing um, in money period, not just Bitcoin. The fact that you can clear physical value in seconds right? Who's clearing that, right? Is there a clearinghouse? Is it a Federal Reserve check system? No. It was node 03AC, and it instantly cleared an HDLC and physically settled value. So the applications of that, I think, are very wide-ranging, and people haven't really grasped them yet. I think a lot of these laps right now are really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, that ability and what you can do with the infrastructure, I mean, you, we can even get it to a point where a user doesn't even know Lightning is, is helping settle physical value, where traditionally settling it is tough, maybe cross borders right or online commerce um so so yeah yeah okay and i guess let's talk through that journey a little bit for a user who is first starting to use lightning uh they would have to always deal with and this is uh, the famed inbound liquidity problem right because i've had that before where i tried to teach somebody and they would they would say oh i set up the thing but i couldn't receive and i'm like oh, yeah inbound liquidity and then you got to you got to teach that and so what are some of the ways you are thinking of getting around that or speeding through that? Yeah, yeah. So I think there are two really inherent bigger problems um, that people are anticipating with Lightning is one, this inbound liquidity onboarding issue. And then the other is the fact that we all use the blockchain. And I can get into that. But it, it actually, I think, is a bigger problem than people are anticipating. Um and I, I know that that was very high level, but we can get into it. So for the inbound liquidity, right now with Zap, it's definitely a problem. Um, new users to Zap are almost always like a, a send only until they have this, right? And um, soon in our upcoming releases, you'll be able to buy incoming capacity. You'll be able to uh, onboard via turbo channels and which will match, you know, you put up $50 on your side, the service will match $50 on the other side. Even with Olympus, I think with uh, consumers, smaller level consumers, it's much easier because what I can do with something like Olympus is I can say, okay, you are onboarded and you are what's considered a customer. You're a user of the service and I can do some statistics on how much you're generally worth. And then I can say, okay, you buy $50 worth of Bitcoin, I'll toss 25 on the other side or I'll, I'll match your $50 on the other side. And I think onboarding uh, through that way will, will, will be likely but it is generally a pretty big problem. I mean, even with things like Wumbo channels and in, in institutions. So Zap, I think with Olympus, 
I could like to consider it as a market innovation rather than a lightning innovation. There isn't a lot of clever lightning protocol engineering going on. I mean, the turbo stuff is cool, but it's actually tying in into the deep liquidity pool that Bitcoin, the industry has developed, but that liquidity pool has been more or less designed for institutions. It's much deeper liquidity, like OTC desk minimum order size is traditionally 250 grand, right? And tying into that deeper liquidity pool with partnerships with people like CMT, and then streaming and getting that liquidity to the consumer and using Lightning. So I think, you know, we'll have Wumbo relationships with these bigger institutions like CMT, like a Cumberland. And I think liquidity there and managing that will need to do things like submarine swaps and more advanced rebalancing tools. But for the consumer, I think like Breeze is an example of some growth hacks where you can kind of front capital costs. But I, I think that those have a lifespan and a timeline and, and I don't think they scale infinitely. And I consider it largely an unsolved problem. So with Olympus, we'll be trying this turbo um, stuff, which I think is extremely helpful. And there are trust trade-offs, for example, you can receive with Turbo. It is much more trusted, but you can always wait for more confirmations and allow the user to kind of pick their own trust model. And, and I think we'll see some serious innovation there. But that and the fact that we all use the blockchain and we have some very uh, deep inherent exposure financially to using the blockchain. And I think those two problems with Lightning businesses are very apparent to me and very much unsolved. <laughs> right, yeah. And I'm interested in trying to solve them. Yeah, because, okay, so... I think Breeze is a good example because, uh, just for listeners who aren't aware, Breeze is a mobile lightning app. And basically, once you set that up, Breeze technology actually open, I think it's a 1 million sat channel with you. And so you have incoming liquidity from the get-go. But from a business model point of view, that is committing a UTXO in your direction. And if you're not... uh, making that worthwhile for breathe then it might not make as much sense from a business model case but jack as you were saying with zap i think it's a slightly different model where you would try to think about what is the customer ltv let's say and what can i afford to you know how much can i lock up or commit in that in the in the direction of that customer and uh, presumably the idea is to have a longer term relationship with that customer and then make it back through other um, route either routing fees or other sort of put deals in front of their face so that they can like you, you get a clip clip the ticket on the commission that sort of thing that's essentially what you're talking about yeah exactly so if we look at the problem super practically okay so one the problem with opening channels directly to a new user is that the time preference or should I say block preference of getting that channel confirmed is it, it has to be now right? The user can't be waiting six hours. Um, That fee that you set has to be a fee that you're confident will be confirmed in the next block or two. And that's really expensive. So one of the ways that Zap solves this with turbo channels is with turbo channels, you can start to spend right away. And the incentives in game theory is very much in your favor. And so that the channels that we open via turbo don't have that same time preference, right? Is that we can set, you know, a one sat, two sat, three sat per byte fee, Uh, and be confident that users can start using Lightning and using the service before confirmation. And so we save drastically compared to what would be maybe like a 75 sat per byte fee to get into the next block. So, okay, very on a practical level, Turbo solves that problem kind of, right? It it is a huge gain. Uh, The second is you obviously have this issue of um, not all users are the same. You have users that use the product a lot. You have users that download and never use it again. And there's a capital cost to tying up liquidity. And so practically, how would we solve that? Well, in a perfect world, every user that downloads a wallet 
can interview with us and I can get to know them and understand how they're best going to use it, right? <laughs> now, in reality, that's not a thing, right? Um, so what are some of the things that we can do? Well, if you do onboard and you, and you buy Bitcoin, right, or, or you're depositing in, into a wallet uh, for a turbo channel, well, then I kind of know enough about you. I know enough that you are a customer, you are a user, uh, you are stacking sats, you're likely to stack again. And I can start to understand more and make more informed decisions so that the capital commitment isn't so null in the brain and it's just on download we go. I, I can learn more. So learning a little bit to make more advanced decisions and tweaking the protocol a little bit um, to save on fees, which again, this, this idea that we have this inherent exposure to the Bitcoin blockchain as lightning developers to open and close channels, it costs money. And I think this is, I talk about it tomorrow in my talk. I think it is an underrated, huge deal and huge problem. And I don't think anyone really understands the problem enough to solve it. And so, yeah, I, those are kind of the insights of some of the design of Olympus and why I made some decisions I made. Hopefully that makes sense. I think it does make a lot of sense because, yeah, I think your explanation around being able to use a one sat per byte fee as opposed to paying 75 or more, let's say a bull run comes, you know, there's a lot of congestion on Bitcoin's blockchain and therefore you can't just get through with one sat per byte. You know, that that will all start to play into that. Um, and isn't there also a thing where... Um, if it doesn't get confirmed, I think, is it within two weeks? Like if you put out a one sat per byte and let's say there's a, you know, a block space market and it, it actually never confirms, then you're in even bigger trouble, right? Right, yeah, especially with Turbo, right? The assumption is that the, the channel uh, does funding eventually transaction confirm. does eventually confirm, right? Um, so we have some advanced logic on our end uh, to, to make sure that that happens. Um, but yeah, I think, so an interesting point I would, I would try and convey here is uh, what I'll talk about tomorrow at the conference is that block space within itself is almost a commodity. What I mean by that is a block has defined characteristics um, and it's scarce in its own way in the same way that gold is almost, right? So a block has this one megabyte, right? Or four megabyte with segwit, right? Weight. Um, and uh, you have to find a hash below a given target for it to be valid, so what I can't do is be like, man, this is full. I can't afford to open this channel for a user. So someone download AWS and get another block. It's like, no, that's not a block though, <laughs> right? So blocks are, are block, block space and getting into the blockchain is scarce within its own way, right? So if that's true, and instead of thinking paying for a fee, we're actually bidding for block space, then you think of it more as a market, okay? And if it is a market, then let's think of it, I mean, in a more practical way. Are we in a bull run? Are we in a bear market? of block space, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, right? Uh, am I bullish? Am I bearish? Am I hodling? Right? And, and if you think about that, well, what am I as a market participant? I am a frequent buyer of block space. I'm on the bid side, okay? And as a business, I am inherently short this commodity block space. Yeah. All that means, inherently short, all that means is that if block space goes up, I'm not happy. My, my general position is I'm a constant buyer and assuming that the price won't run away from me to the upside because if we go, go through some giant fee spike, my business is going to hurt, right? Let's say that I have an operational cost of thousands of channels a week, and I'm assuming I can spend a couple grand on channels. And if we go from generally $1 or less fees to 50, um, my business is going to get blown out, okay? Um, and in any market that's free, uh, volatility is is a fact, okay? So 
I think that businesses on Lightning will soon understand um, as the fee, or excuse me, the block reward grinds its way to zero and fees become more important, that we are inherently short something that as a Bitcoiner, we're naturally long. I believe that Bitcoin has a fixed supply, 21 million cap, and that fees are important. So here I am as a business, inherently short this thing that I believe should go up. And it's a huge problem. But uh, market participants... A lot of us in businesses have economic exposure, like a corn farmer. A corn farmer is inherently long corn. If cor- the price of corn goes down while they're growing it, then they're, then they're down. So what we've done traditionally in human history is we build derivative products. We build futures. And so what I would like to see is if I'm a uh, lightning business and I have an inherent short exposure to this fee market – that I would be able to hedge my exposure via future. And if I'm inherently short, who is inherently long? Who's the other side of the trade? A miner is inherently long. Block rewards are going down and fees are vastly important and getting more and more important through every halving. So I can basically say I'd like to long Bitcoin fees because if Bitcoin fees crush to the upside and my operating costs of a lightning business to open channels goes from a couple thousand dollars a week to fifty thousand dollars a week and there's nothing I can do about that I would like to have a long future position on fees that t- to help me cover the cost because I'll be losing out of my pocket but I'll be making money on the futures position and as a miner right if fees are going it kept low with innovations like Segwit and block rewards are getting less and less and difficulties going up, I would like to have a short fee position where if fees stay low below the cost of my break even, at least I make money on my short position. And that way we have an efficient hedging market. And I think it's really important or else lightning businesses are going to have this balance sheet exposure. And you can see like maybe people like Coinbase. I, I mean, God knows how many uh, how much money they were spending on paying withdrawals for their users, right? Not batch, batching transactions. It's not just lightning businesses. Every Bitcoin business that uses the blockchain has this inherent economic exposure. And maybe you can see a lot of the insights of why they supported something like Segwit2x, why their time preference was what it was, right? And so I think this problem, and it may take a, a futures market to solve as opposed to some technical innovation. Um, so I think that's super interesting, uh, and, and a bigger problem than people think. But as a lightning business, and I'm going to be opening channels as a service very soon, or I already am now in a beta, um, it's a problem. And my balance sheet is really exposed. If Roger Ver were to clog the chain, um, my pockets would start to drain, <laughs> right? Yeah, that was a fantastic explanation. I love that. So talking through that example where Bitcoin and light, particularly lightning businesses are, they don't want the block space market to become more expensive, obviously, but they believe it will. And then on the other side, the miners who are the the other side of that trade, how could such a trade be executed to, is it some kind of forward arrangements? Uh, but then how would the miner deliver on that? They would have basically be saying, oh, Jack, I, I already took some money from you. And now you want to confirm all these transactions actually at a lower fee than what the prevailing block space market is. But because I'm a miner and I agreed that in advance, I'm going to honor that arrangement. Or what would it look like? Right. Yeah, it would be more of a traditional future or a swap. Um, so there would be uh, some some deliverable. So it would be like a, a two-week settlement or so. So I can hedge myself out for a few weeks worth of fees or, or whatever time frame makes sense. And and so what's important to note is I've given the same type of talk and idea, and I'm a market maker on difficulty right now, actually. I work with it on CMT. And so miners have this exposure to difficulty that's really tough. If I buy hardware um, that immediately loses value as soon as I buy it, right? Because hardware is always improving. So the top of the market lasts at the top of the market for a week or so before there's a new cooler way. Um, And difficulties continually running up. Um, My production output of Bitcoins is is less and less. Now the issue, so 
right? Like miners are inherently short difficulty, right? The issue with that market is there is no natural long of difficulty. So making a market there uh, is really tough. It's more of an insurance product is I'm just kind of taking the other side where miners will lose a lot of that trade because there is no natural long. So, so this is more market talk, but when there is no natural two-sided market, the, the market that the maker can make is really wide. Um, but with a natural two-sided market, like uh, Bitcoin businesses are inherently short fees. Miners are inherently long fees because you can cross those exposures. Then a market maker, uh, it would be very, very simple. So you can see a futures contract listed on a traditional ex- exchange. I don't think it needs to be centralized by any means, but you can just deposit Bitcoin to an exchange and enter a contract where I say my operating cost to open channels with Olympus is X. And I know how much users are worth and how much money I'm making. So let's say my spread for simplicity's sake of, of profit is $10. I'd be happy to use two of of that $10 and put it into in a futures trade to hedge myself, right? Now, if if my futures trade doesn't hit, that means that fees aren't running to the upside and I lose 10, I only profit 8. But I'm very much protected from when they do run to the upside, I'm not going to go out of business. And it's and it's just a very traditional just like, you know, BitMEX future or the CME future, um, but it's more tied into the economics of Bitcoin and it isn't just like a spot future like we've seen in traditional capital markets. Right. So that was a little bit of a market speak, but That was fascinating. That yeah, I think that was really fascinating because um, I think a lot of Bitcoiners are coming at it more from the technical perspective. And so they're thinking more of technical innovations rather than the actual financial uh, components uh, that that's required for it. One thing I was interested to also discuss, and this is more maybe more on the technical side, but it might be that as we hit a new bull bull market, then fees on chain will rise and so on. But then we might see other innovations coming that help. So a quick example would be Alex Bosworth and the team of Lightning Labs with submarine swaps. But then they've got loop in and loop out. And then the next level of that is Hyperloop, which is this idea of, and they, you know, just for example's sake, uh, you could do one on-chain transaction to pay and then receive it back into, say, five different channels and refill five different channels. So there's a massive, you can see there's a lot of batching potential in that. And so how would that impact you know, the business model for some of these lightning wallets or companies. Yeah, it would help a lot, obviously. So if you look traditionally in the history of Bitcoin, we've already seen similar technical innovations that we'll probably see in lightning, like SegWit, like batching. I I mean, like a business like Coinbase that had this direct exposure, the exposure is much less because a lot of the innovation that's gone on on the first layer. And we'll see the same type of thing. Um, But fees, the design of the system is that fees are going to go up. And the fact that there is no, I was trying to explain to some of my relatives, like I have this balance sheet exposure in my business and it's really tough. They're like, okay, well, what is the exposure? How much is it? And I was like, the tricky thing is, is I don't know. I don't know. Some days it's a dollar. Some days it's $50 and, and it's very volatile because it's a free market. So just the fact that there is inherent volatility um, and the fact that the system is designed to push the price of my exposure up <laughs> very quickly yeah. over time. So yeah, I think I think the technical innovation will always play a part and, and that is what a miner would be afraid of, right? So it's very clear what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that, I wouldn't say afraid, but my exposure as a business is that uh, the block reward is going to go to zero and fees are going to go up. And my cost to run my business is going to go much higher than it is today, right? And fast. And some di- sometimes, like, for example, it could be tomorrow, fees may spike 50x, okay? 
But as a miner, what would I be scared of? I would be scared that the smartest engineers in the world are working on Bitcoin and they're going to suppress fees as much as they can. And as block reward grinds its way to zero and difficulty skyrocketing, my opportunity to get coins, right? Like if fees continue to stay this low, I'm going to start going out of business, right? And so now you have, that's what's so important is that we have this two-sided market of exposure. So I think technical innovation will be extremely important. um, And this is what a miner is scared of, like... For example, SegWit. A lot of miners weren't fans, right? And, and so you have this type of dual-sided two-market. It's very natural. Um, so, so yeah, I think all, all of that will play a part. We've already seen it traditionally in Bitcoin's history at the first layer and at the second layer. I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll see a repeat. Yeah, that's a really fascinating to think about, though. I think uh, it's really interesting, and you articulated it very nicely. I'm also keen to t- talk about Zap as a wallet and, I guess, also with taking on Lightning, and some people being onboarded directly into Lightning. Do you have any thoughts around support for hardware wallets and cold storage, right? So let's say somebody gets onboarded only into the Lightning network, and then they want to start stacking sats, and let's say their amount that they're stacking starts to get close to the channel limit that they've got. I mean, at that point, you've either got to open another channel to that customer, or that customer needs to start finding ways that they can push it away into cold storage and maybe a submarine swap is one way to do that. But uh, what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, there was a user on Twitter that had similar thoughts and there's nothing stopping us from integrating with hardware wallets and allowing you to buy $1,000 worth of Bitcoin on Olympus, loop out 900 of them and then spend the other 100 on Lightning and that loop out can go straight to your, your cold card, right? Um, there's nothing stopping that. Um, and I think multiple channels uh, won't be... Uh, such a hindrance soon with things like AMP, right? So yeah, I'd be the first to admit that uh, I have pretty much nothing figured out, right? I'm very much a learner of the times. So we'll see, right? Like if a user doesn't have enough receive capacity with their current channel state and I need to give them Bitcoins, well, I need to open a new turbo channel and that's just a fact of the matter or I can deliver it on chain or such, right? Um, but yeah, I think submarine swaps will be a huge deal. Hyperloop will be really cool. Uh, and um, I, I mean, opening new channels and using AMP and leveraging the fact that uh, channel liquidity is much more diverse and accessible to make payments, I think will be a big deal too. So we'll see is my answer. Yeah, right? yeah, no, but, yeah I think it's just interesting to hear some of the discussion and what are some potential responses. And I think maybe on a slightly related topic is in Bitcoin right now, the typical Bitcoiner, they're running multiple different wallets, right? They might have a cold card, they might have a Trezor or a Ledger, you know, like that's on the hardware side. And then they might have some phone wallets that they're using. And then they might have a lightning wallet that they're using that doesn't, you know, and so then one example I'm thinking here is something like Electrum, which it might become more like a, a big monolith, right? Because if, if it a lot of people are using it for their hardware wallet and it's coming out with Lightning now, I don't know the details on their Lightning aspect of it. But how do you think about that with Zap and, you know, playing in that ecosystem of having multiple tools? Do you think it makes more sense for someone to have, you know, one app that just does everything? Or is it more, from your perspective... That's more of an attack surface. That's more of a confusion for the user. We want to keep it simple. What are your views there? Um, I have some opinions, but I'm not sure that they matter, right? I think markets are super efficient and time is the ultimate truth teller. So there's a lot of of products and wallets. The fact of the matter is they cost money to operate. They cost money to run and it's required that people use them. And I think over time, um, 
we'll start to see what users really value. And and then I'm not saying that in a way that, you know, some, some people's businesses are going to die or whatever, but it's just a fact, right? It's just a fact. And I think that lightning is super new and we know nothing about the landscape of users, the type of demand and how people using lightning relate to Bitcoin. Bitcoin traditionally is a savings technology and we don't really understand how people want to use lightning, why it's valuable to, to them. Is privacy more valuable than the fact that you can make micropayments? I have no idea. Right. And so I think just trying things and there's a lot of people that are giving users a lot of exposure and and we'll just start to see. My assumption is that having 100 wallets is not the best. And I think everyone would agree with me there. So we'll we'll probably start to see the market uh, consolidate a little bit. Um, But who knows? I I have my opinions, but I I really think that uh, they're not relevant. The the only honest answer and the best answer is going to come from the consumers in the market. And and time will tell that. Yeah, no, that's a fair point there. Especially with things like, uh, even like with multi-signature, right? So even now, there's you know there's Electrum you could use. There are service providers you can use. Then that those wallets might be very distinct, and they, you might have one that's really designed to be like a cold storage wallet, and then you've got one that's more like a day-to-day. And maybe Zap would be like a day-to-day wallet that you you know you got your mobile app and it pairs back with your node yeah. back home. I think with Lightning, there's a lot of inherent speculation as a business. Um, because the fact that we know nothing about the consumer and how people value this technology, their relationship with Bitcoin and why they think it's important. If I knew all of those things, I could build the best product today, right? But I don't, and no one does. And even the consumer, I'm sure you don't, right? Like no one, no one really understands. Um, so with Zap, we always try and be, like I said before, available in response. So you can connect to your remote node, any hardware wallet that's willing to integrate, um, we have like one line of code integration with LND connect thing. And it's really simple. Um, we have nodes within the application. So consumers that want to have, you know, the phone in your pocket and node runs on your device and it's really simple, right? And if something, if some onboarding or, or some hardware or something takes off and we get a better understanding, Zap will be in a perfect position to adapt there. And, and same with Olympus. Olympus isn't a system that's baked into our wallet itself. It's like a standalone component that's really good at the hard parts of managing market risk and onboarding users and streaming quotes and building these turbo things and, and some of these protocol things to help us with the user experience. But it can work with whoever, right? Any lightning business can use it and it's very flexible. So I try not to show show any cards, right, with my, my hand with lightning because it's way too early, right? And, mm. and so with Zap, who knows where lightning will be in 12 months? For all I know, it's a privacy tool. Uh, and, and people don't care to make micropayments. They just care to m- make payments in a very private matter. And that, the way I design Zap and the way I think about it would totally change. So we try and just stay really open and, and only build things that we know are valuable regardless of the use case, I guess, and, and very kind of kind of tamed at the moment. Yeah, that's uh, really interesting. And then that also brings to mind this idea of lightning service providers. Now, I think Roy Scheinfeld has spoken about this and it's it's like what sort of businesses will exist in this lightning economy will there be channels as a, you know the channels as a service idea as well and then trying to be that person who manages all that liquidity for the for the end consumer because the end consumer is not going to care about oh how do i do my channel management blah 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 right yeah so you can think of olympus as a quote unquote lsb i guess um yeah again i think it's super unclear um so yeah, I think Bitrefill, Breeze, Olympus. I mean, all of these things are underground services that are meant to uh, 
build a better user experience for people building on top of lightning from, yeah. from a super high level. And yeah, I'm sure, I think that they'll be very important. A lot of the economics though are super unclear, like whether they're profitable, <laughs> whether people care enough, whether they work. I mean, you can think also of, uh, oh, you open turbo channels for people and manage liquidity and you charge X, well, I can just do it myself. And maybe uh, part of a Lightning business is you have to have your own type of channel management underground because it's just cheaper to do it yourself. I mean, what is the cost of being an expert in open source software? That value proposition probably doesn't last very long because I can download the code and do it myself. So I think markets will be super efficient and we'll, we'll learn a lot. So I'm very much admitting to uh, having none of this figured out. And I think what's most important is just being a good listener and being a good observer. Yeah. And so related to being a lightning service provider is this concept of routing fees and you know channel fees. What's your thoughts there in terms of how you know how 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 should we think about them and what are some good I guess part of in my mind I'm just thinking of that recent email that Rusty sent to the mailing list saying hey we should raise the default routing fee. So how are you thinking about routing fees should people uh, be manually uh, uh, amending them and you know how should they think about that yeah routing fees in in the routing market within lightning is a perfect example of just how early uh, this industry is um so even uh my routing node for example just runs the default okay and and the issue is uh i'm not economically accounting for the fact that i'll have you know channel closing expenses and such. And so I, I don't think that there are going to be businesses that can rely on routing um, to be profitable. Uh, I think that the market is just far too efficient. You can run LND on a laptop or on a Raspberry Pi and just undercut any you know, amazing Coinbase, like Bitcoin bank, right? And, and so I don't, I don't foresee that as a, a revenue generator. Um, but I certainly think that the fee market is a perfect example of right now, this is a hobbyist market. A lot of Zapps users are not users because we offer some amazing service that they couldn't do before with, without fiat or right. It's, it's because everyone is a hodler and everyone wants Bitcoin to succeed and they're here to help. And they think lightning is a candidate to make their investment go up and they want to support it. And so it's very much a hobbyist market. And a lot of us aren't acting economically in understanding our balance sheet exposure. Like I shouldn't have my routing fees set to what they are because I'm not making money with the fact that I'm paying for channel closers that any, any channel partner can make me lose money at, at any point. Right. And, and then also obviously you have the balance sheet exposure of opening the channels in this futures market. So I think as the industry matures, and that's why I want to talk about this at the lightning conferences is if businesses are going to act, you'll start to see more efficient economics there. So I think the fee market is a perfect example that this is very much hobbyist. Right. And it's not arm's length, right? It's like, Oh, Hey, I'm opening a node. Can you, can, can we just swap channels kind of thing? But in the future, that might be more of like an arm's length decision of, Hey, is it going to make dollars and cents for me to open this channel and commit UTXOs in your direction and put myself at risk, uh, you know, hot wallet risk and so on? Yeah, exactly. I think another perfect example is we used to have this fallacy, we as in maybe the, a lot of the Lightning community, of this dual funded channels where it's like, you know, opening a channel, then looping out to have received capacity. This is a tough user experience. How about I put up 0.1 BTC, you put up 0.1 BTC. Yeah. Now, as we've grown and we all are running lightning businesses or lightning services, 
that's actually not a great idea because someone can basically spam my channel and dry up liquidity by just drawing away bitcoins from my wallet. And then when a a service like Olympus wants to deliver channels, it's out of liquidity, right? So I don't want, no, you want 0.1 BTC of my liquidity? No, I don't, I don't want that type of vulnerability. So I think as, uh, we have this economic exposure market, the market will be generally much more efficient and we'll start to see some serious innovation that's required because, you know, businesses have balance sheets and businesses need to operate in in a profit manner. And uh, economic human incentive is probably the most powerful one in human history. Mm -hmm. And and right now in Lightning, it's hobbyist, like I said before, but I think very quickly it it, it won't be. And, you know, people are taking in venture capital money and people are operating much more economically than... uh, then yeah, downloading L and D and tweeting about it. So yeah. <laughs> hey, open a channel with me, guys. No, but one example, and to to your point, I think it's re- relevant is uh, this concept of channel acceptance policy, right? So right now, for example, I know BitRefill will put in a requirement. I think that you basically have to open a big channel if you want to open one with them. And so potentially in the future, there might be some secret sauce around it on who you permit to open a channel with you. And you might say, hey, if you're going to open a channel to me, I want at least this much balance on my side to give me account for my risk, account for my mining fee, etc." Yeah. Yep. And and I think that a lot of services have much more dynamic relationships. So for example, Olympus and Zap, we have a relationship directly with the consumer. So we can't really have this type of minimum. We obviously want to protect against dust channels. But, I mean, if a user buys $25 worth and they don't have any channels, I need to open a turbo channel to them. I need them to get onboarded. So do you have this concept of, like, gateway nodes, which are kind of more directly exposed to the consumer, and then you have more uh, back-end routing nodes that just have larger channels, manage Wumbo with other institutions and such? I think a lot of these answers are pretty unclear. But I agree um, that there's going to be, and again, we can tie this back to the first topic of reputation. I think that lightning nodes will grow very smart and that there'll be some more advanced logic that goes into your relationships on the network and using things like public key as identity and understanding who is what on the network. Um, will become much, much, much more relevant quicker than we think. Right. It'll be this pub key has really good uptime and he has really good routing success. So I'm going to give him a good rating in my little mental map or my little nodes uh, model of who's a good participant. And maybe there's there's going to be kind of a good participant and a bad model. You know, let's say someone, a bad model might be some guy who goes offline. He's like really uh, in, uh, unresponsive in terms of, requests and messages and things yeah and even things like uh fee rate like i think ellen big is is experimenting with some crazy fees like i think async is three percent or something and and uh potentially i'm not actually sure about that but ellen big keeps rising and dropping and rising and dropping and and if i have a direct relationship with the consumer as zap maybe i don't want them so exposed to routes that are just going to crush them right and so yeah uptime you know you can come to my imaginary front door of my lightning node and knock and say, Hey, you know, I got 0.16 BTC. I'd like to open a channel, provide some liquidity. And I can basically check the reputation system. Man, you go offline a lot. You're not very responsible. I'm sorry. You're going to have to walk home. (laughs) Right. And, And we should have that type of reputation system. And I think it's really important. And right now no one's really incentivized to make those decisions because who cares? I mean, what the lightning torch and it doesn't really matter, but soon, very soon it will, if lightning is to work. So Let's talk a little bit, I guess, about Olympus and um, onboarding people. So, as I understand you, from some of your prior interviews, you were mentioning how you've had to re-architect the service and zap a little bit to 
provide for the KYC version and the non-KYC version. Can you elaborate a bit? Yeah. So I guess Olympus has always been designed to be a standalone component. So Zap will never require you to enter personal information to use the wallet. It will have to require you to enter personal information if you want to buy a commodity from me because I want no parts of jail. (laughs) (laughs) Simple as that, Um, right? Like, you know, in today's world, uh, we play by the rules of Big Brother when I I stand and live on their soil. So, um, yeah, but Olympus is a standalone component, so you can even have Zap without Olympus involved at all in the future. Just you download a version that doesn't have it installed on, on the wallet. And so I think that was really, really important. And it also allows us greater flexibility. Like I'm a fan of Zap. Obviously, I use it every day. Um, but who would I be to say that Zap is going to be cool forever? I think there's so many smart people. Every day you see a new wallet. And for me to go through the work of compliance, really deep market expertise of streaming tight quotes and being able to handle high volumes and deliver them to the consumer, I think anyone should be able to use that. So have it be more flexible as a standalone piece uh, and, and plug into anyone. And it it's much more opt-in and it's much more flexible. So I think that was really, really important um, to deliver such a cool service and such a cool innovation within Lightning, but then also uh, remain uh, to our principles, which which we'll never divorce from, uh, was, was really important. Talking through that operation, so the customer wants to come to you and they want to pay you USD. So, so let's say I've got 50 USD and I want $50 in a Lightning channel. And so what does that look like from a talking through, you know, in terms of like, where are they clicking? What are they doing for that? Yeah. Um, so within the desktop application, for example, um, there's just a big orange buy Bitcoin button. Yeah. Uh, and that's really cool. And you click it. And if you're a new user, you onboard yourself um, with whatever information. You know, I really went through a lot to try and uh, get the KYC ML as low as possible. So there are states uh, within the U.S. where I really got it down to just name, email, uh, address, birthday, right? Yeah. And and obviously there are other uh, countries and other regulations where I don't have that luxury. But you onboard yourself uh, and then you just enter the number that you want and you click buy. And for Olympus, there's a lot of complicated details as far as streaming quotes, managing risk, right? Because uh, as a seller of Bitcoin, we are inherently short Bitcoin by just giving it away, right? Like I didn't, I don't, no one wants to be in that position of essentially assuming Bitcoin is going to stay at the same price or go down. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of advanced market activity into who we tie into to be partners to manage that exposure. Do we have futures positions that we kind of assess our risk with? Do we have an opinion on the market ourselves? Do, do I not want to? Right. And and this goes for the sell side as well. So we handle all of that. And then from a a lightning aspect, we uh, have a lot of advanced things. We can deliver the BTC in a lot of clever ways. Do you have enough capacity? Uh, Well, what even if you have one hundred dollars worth of receive and you buy one hundred dollars, do I want to wipe away all of your receive capacity? Is AMP implemented? Do I use a turbo channel? Do you want it on chain? Uh, Do I use some form of swap? I mean, a lot of that is really complicated. And then obviously, What people don't understand is that the relationship with the consumer is forever. It's not a one-time purchase. So as soon as the Bitcoins are delivered, not only um, is that service completed, but then they use the Bitcoins through your Your liquidity profile. So managing that and ensuring uptime and often rebalancing is really, really important. So there's a lot of hidden complexities in there, which make for this a really tough problem. And I think that's why you don't see everyone trying to solve it is there's a wide range of expertise, right? There's uh, expertise in the compliance aspect. There's expertise, a lot of it in, in markets. 
um, in streaming quotes and liquidity profiles to the consumer. Uh, and then there's obviously lightning, like, you know, implementing turbo into the L and D code base was interesting. Um, and managing liquidity, understanding the consumer in the best way to deliver efficiently designed for user experience. And a lot of this is going to be trial and error, but it's, it's a large project, which, uh, is an array of expertise that you have to kind of conquer. Mm, yeah. Out of curiosity, how do you handle failure modes in the example of, let's say I, let's say I try to buy $50 USD, uh, and you try to pay $50 through to my channel and maybe there's a problem on the route and you know, there's a stock payment or it just, it doesn't, it can't route. What, what, what's the fallback in that case? Well, we could do a lot of things. And I think that the truth is going to come just from the user, right? Like the fallback could easily be turbo channel. The fallback can just be on chain. Um, the fallback could be some form of swap um, or the fallback could be we just give you your money back, right? I, I think like people have to understand that this is a service and there is no decentralized version of of dollars, <laughs> right? And But I think that that's important. Like who cares, man? I, I mean, decentralization is a sliding scale and, and I think people can move it to their preference. Um, it's not very, it's not binary at all. So I think that we'll just have to learn, like does a user want the detailed option of selecting, I would like this purchase to be delivered over Lightning, and if it's not, then I want to cancel it. I don't want a new channel. I don't want it on chain um, because of the privacy implications or such. Like, and or do they not care? Do they want us to kind of do that in the background? Mm. So right now we do a lot of it in the background, and, and these are the things that we're testing internally and, and with some beta users, and we'll continue to expand it. Um, but the Short answer is, I don't know. I'm excited to learn. The long answer is, you know, of course, there are various fallbacks of, you know, try lightning payment. Lightning payment doesn't work. Think about turbo. Think about on-chain. Does the user have some preference set in the wallet, et cetera, mm. et cetera. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot. that's cool. Um, one other point around hot wallet risk. So, obviously, any Bitcoin business, and particularly, obviously, lightning wallet, lightning business, rather, they've got to think about hot wallets. And do you have any thoughts on how to manage that risk? Are there any technical innovations that we need in Bitcoin and Lightning to help them and better enable them to manage that hot wallet risk? Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, like Lightning hardware wallets would be nice. I And I just think that there's a lot of learning to do with Lightning at, as the, at the more institutional level. Okay, I think that, I mean, the hot wallets have existed forever and exchanges with hot wallets that basically are there for the convenience of the user have been around for a really long time. Zap won't be the first to kind of go about this t type of, of strategy. Um, but managing them and being able to basically refill, like, I don't know if Zap has 10 BTC on a lightning hot wallet and it's constantly ready. And obviously, if people are always buying, then this is depleting, depleting, depleting. What's the most efficient way to restock from cold storage? Is it as simple as sending from a cold storage, just sending to my L&D and just boom, I'm restocked, right? Like how many of, of those funds need to be on Lightning? Do I use Loop? I mean, a lot of this stuff, again, um, I have my opinions, but I think the only way to really figure it out is to just do it. <laughs> and so I, that's what I'm most excited about is just doing and just trying. Um, and so we'll see. We'll see. I, I consider it a seriously unsolved problem. Like, 
uh, I'm really excited for the world where Zap has this set of nodes where uh, part of it is really exposed to the consumer and the other part has these Wumbo relationships with CMT Digital, with Acuna, with Cumberland, with exchanges, and, and trying to be the centerpiece of, of, of bridge between deep liquidity uh, within the Bitcoin space and the end consumer and trying to make that the most effective relationship possible is a huge problem. And there's so many unknowns, which makes it really hard, but makes it super exciting. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm really excited. I think, you, yeah, I think Zap is such a great project and, you know, I love uh, using the wallet. You mentioned earlier about uh, the, the perfect uh, user onboarding is uh, the person comes in for an interview with you and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you figure out um, if they're a legit person, if they're going to stay online, you know. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I think we're pretty much coming to time there. So do you want to just uh, tell them where they can find you and where they can come for their in-person interview? Yeah. You can come to Chicago and have a beer with me anytime. I love Bitcoiners is my family. So if you want an in-person interview, <laughs> I'll get you a beer in Chicago. DM me on Twitter. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I didn't have the foresight to uh, make anonymous accounts when I joined Bitcoin Twitter. So my, <laughs> my full name is, uh, is everywhere. Jack Mallers on Twitter and we've got slacks and such. I'm really not. I'm the opposite of shy. My opinions are loud. It's very easy to find me. So hit me up. I, I love you guys. Thank you for the support. And I appreciate being here. Well, thank you for joining me. Jack's a cool, super talented guy. Make sure you check out Zap and Olympus. I'm excited to see what comes with his Fiat to Lightning on-ramp. If you want to support the show, there's a few options. Make sure you subscribe using a podcast app, share it with your family and friends, give it a review. I'm sitting around 280 or 290 reviews, but more is good. Helps new people find me. I've got a Patreon group where we have a private chat group for the paying supporters. You can advertise on the show and you can email me any feedback you've got. My email is stefanlevera at pm.me. The website is stefanlevera.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the Citadels.